0: Like I'm from Akron, like I'm from Akron, like I'm from Akron, like I'm from Akron, 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 Akron. We finally made it. Opening week of Penn State Football 2017 is here after seven to eight long months of waiting the Nittany Lions to kick off at noon on Saturday. Against the Zips, it's Andrew Callahan and Sean Fitz bringing you the first in-season bi-weekly episode of the Lions 24-7 podcast. Lots to talk about, as always, for the first time, it's going to be real, looking ahead to some football uh, and a quick rundown of what's to come. Today will be our offensive preview for the season. Sean and I will talk about, you know, the passing game, the running game, a couple of predictions apiece. Return back to what we learned from fall camp and then get into the mailbag. So a little bit shorter this week, uh, but nonetheless, real meaty stuff to talk about. And, and, and before
1: we get into it, I want to stop you there. Because you wrote probably the most insightful article on Penn State football this offseason, published it over the weekend on Lions 24 7. Thank you. Uh, it was phenomenal. Uh, I just got done reading it. It's Sunday evening. You posted it this morning. It's pretty long, no, no lie. Very long. But uh, <laughs> no, I, the insight into the scout team and how everything works uh, it was just, I thought it was phenomenal. Um, if you haven't given it a read, I know it's long, I know it's the internet and we don't have that sort of attention span anymore. Why we post it Sunday morning, though, but, you know, yeah, with absolutely. Your coffee, breakfast. This is something you've been working on for a long time. What 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 went into that um uh that mindset first of all? And I know you you got some guys on the record so with some pretty special stuff, than more than we usually get um, you know, out of players, coaches, things like that. What went into the story?
0: Yeah, to be honest, um this is something I think I brought to your attention one of the first few months that I came aboard and, and I know it's been a long time since then, so it wasn't something I revisited until recently, but I wanted to do a long form piece so we're talking here at least four thousand five thousand words and you know for people who work in you know word document this is essentially like 12 pages one and a half space probably upwards of 15 double space so that's the length of the piece and i wanted to get into the guys who obviously we don't know a whole lot about the unknown parts of this program and you know that's a one aspect of it but to me it's also just a fascinating aspect of any team because not only are these guys not getting a whole lot of attention and they've still have the same responsibilities to their teammates in terms of knowing the playbook, showing up for lifts, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. but they've got to simulate different opponents each week. So that was something that I began speaking to people in January and February, collecting notes, finding the best spots, and then it was a matter of organizing the piece and delivering it how I wanted to, but um, tremendous insight from Charlie Schumann. Ryan Monk who was able to sit down with a couple of other coaches. Uh, could not have done it without them and, and really hope they delivered all that I could with the piece. You had Matt Limegrover, who said that the reason the Penn State won the
1: Big Ten title went to the Rose Bowl was Charlie Schumann. Obviously, I I don't know that he uh, realized what he said when it got into your mind, at least. But, yeah, I mean, that's pretty fascinating stuff when you think of a guy like Schumann, who's probably never going to, you know, get game snaps, uh, given how Penn State's come along with the offensive line. But this is a guy that passed up a scholarship to Old Dominion, was committed there for a while, and ended up flipping to Penn State, walking on. Um, he's done some phenomenal things off the field as well. But, yeah, I mean, you just don't pay attention to these guys as much and may, maybe over the last couple of years with the sanctions you hear more walk-on stories you hear more stories about these guys but yeah it's just
0: it's, it's fascinating because they put in just as much work as everybody else and perhaps even more again you know they've got to have responsibility to their own to Penn State in the event that you know we have a cascade of injuries and all of a sudden you're calling up a Ryan Monk who saw some action last year or Charlie Schumann um, but nonetheless they have to prepare their guys for the best looks possible so you know in chatting with Curtis Cothran he underscored how not only just playing on scout team helped him because he quote added tools to his toolbox but he also you know was able to develop and understand what different techniques meant or hone parts of his game which made him a really potent defensive tackle that he is today so you mentioned the quote the line over gave me that is the lead to the piece this is him laying that out and explaining why and as a guy who's been around the block as a coach and he's saying this guy who didn't play a single snap is better known for what he did inside the basketball arena during thon and otherwise is barely just any, you know, a footnote basically in the team's website. This is the guy that won the Big Ten Championship. But it's it's the same thought that we've heard from James Franklin, who's talking as recently as a couple of weeks ago. Our scout teams just look so different, you know, back in December. They have every reason to be as proud as Saquon Barkley does. And it's not just the coach speak, you know, just delivering, you know, a pat on the back verbally to the press with the scout team, because they don't have a whole lot of attention. They did an outstanding job last year. And I wanted to highlight that, you know, to, to bring it to the table and kind of underscore, you know, everything that they did while also explaining it in Full, um, because there there really is a lot on their plate. And if you if you go to practice and watch these guys, the the GAs or whatnot are holding
1: up the cards with the plays on it. But it goes so much deeper than that. And and I think there's a lot of skill development. And even I talked to Sterling Jenkins at Media Day. You know, being on the scout team, you know, providing different looks, it makes you a better player all around. Um, You know, not just alignment, but they've developed some guys in there. Gellerstedt had a great camp. He's been a scout team guy. Jenkins, his development is going to come on scout team. So. Uh, you, you get a couple of guys out of that that, that will eventually make it in, and Zach Simpson, backup center. I mean, he was a walk on, two hundred and sixty five pounder when he showed up, so um, he had to play on scout team. But mm-hmm. you know, it only took him about a year and a half from move to the scout team to the game field. But yeah, it's been it's been phenomenal for Penn State, who who's been able to sort of you know cultivate depth. They've talked about that with linebacker, but all over the place. I mean, the the, the depth level, the talent level, um, you know, the athleticism is just at a higher level than it was a couple of years ago. And and no disrespect to, to the walk ons that the uh, no. run-ons that Bill O'Brien brought in and things like that. But now you've got a more complete roster. You've got a higher, uh, I guess, a higher cut of walk-ons that are coming
0: through, and, and, and it's, it's just going to benefit the program altogether. And you know what? If discussing and reading you know, 4,000-plus words in the bottom of Penn State's roster doesn't sound so exciting, I totally get that. So the second half of the piece I'll tell you is basically insights from almost every single game last season and how that translated to the success with stuff even on the side. So, for example... Trace McTorley's mother bringing treats to the offensive lineman we all heard about last October. No one found out that those were actually used for eating contests where they would force Will Fry, Skellerstin, and other guys to eat them as fast as possible. In the piece, you'll find out who won. Garrett Sickles and Charlie Schumann used to have a competition every Thursday just between them. You know, no one else knew about it. Things like that are in the piece. You know, how these different aspects of the games translate. You know, Ryan Monk, I mentioned, backup defensive tackle, you know, should have been credited for a half sack with a tip that he gave Antoine White, who had you know, all of his three half sacks against Kent State in the opener. Well, Monk picked up on something that allowed him to pick up the second of those half sacks. So it's things like that that you'll find in the second half of the piece. Really fun to put together. Took a lot of time, uh, but was glad to finally do it. And, and, you know, really put a a cap on 2016 before we head into the new year. And, you know, the transition, of course, is the camp that we just concluded with. There's not a whole lot to add, I, I think, at this point. But if you had one final takeaway from camp, what is it? I think this
1: staff is very cautiously optimistic with how good this team is. I think they're trying to downplay it a little bit, but that, you know, you get behind closed doors and it's, Ooh, these guys, these guys can do something. So, I mean, I, I, I think the offense has potential to put up the points. I think the defense, if healthy, has the potential to, you know, be a big 10 championship level defense and they're not there yet. And they're no. probably not going to be there until the second half of the season, if they get there, but you've got dudes on that, on, in that back seven that can really help you out. So I think a lot of that is going to fall, you know, on the front four, but yeah, there's just the, there's so much more talent and, and following the team covering the team through the sanction years, you just—it's night and day—and and I think that's the biggest thing to take away from it. You can, um, you know, you, you can really break down position by position where you've got the uh, where you've got the depth, where you've got the talent, the right. length, all that stuff. I just think it's fascinating to watch and to see how James Franklin and and by, by extent Bill, Bill O'Brien have built this roster from where it was to where it is. I, I just think it's a fascinating
0: uh, angle. And this is the time, of course, for hope. Like everyone is going to be off to at least above 500 season. You're going to a ball. Everything's going to be great. You know, in Penn State's case, you're headed to the playoff. But the thing that struck me about this camp is that the themes were repeats almost exclusively from the spring, which to me, as much as there, you know, is reason for hope for everybody, the reasons for Penn State seem to have a, a greater backing than you might just in an average summer or fall of these are the reasons we're going to be good. For example, Juwan Johnson. I don't know. If, I don't know if you heard. Had a really great off season. Okay, they started in spring ball. Every player, or coach that you talk to, whether you brought up the offense or not, say, "Hey, who's having a good camp?" They go, "You know who's having a great camp? John Johnson." That continued throughout the entire bit of the summer. He stayed healthy, so that gives you more confidence that he'll break out. Um, the back seven: Lamont Wade, Mike Miranda. Well, Mike Miranda's on the offensive line, but Lamont Wade, freshman, who are going to contribute. Tariq Castro Fields, another one. Like they they're just all of the themes that we had translating depth along the offensive lines. I kind of conflate those two right there. Um, Uh, they repeated themselves in summer, which to me gives them more credence and things to believe in and in whole, really the confidence that you would have for Penn State going into the season. Yeah, and we look at the
1: storylines replacing Godwin. Um, Will the offensive line come along? I I just think there's... The, the problems they face right now are far, far smaller than they were two years oh ago. Oh, my God. And, and, and it doesn't really have a much to do with the Big Ten Championship. I mean, this is the same team we would have seen regardless, um, you know, whether Penn State would have probably gone or won nine games last year instead of uh, going to the Big Ten, or uh, excuse me, winning the Big Ten title game, and going to the Rose Bowl. So I, we were talking last week about the floor, the worst case scenario. Mm-hmm. And when you're talking about a worst case scenario of seven or eight wins, <laughs> that's pretty good. I Which was the common
0: forecast a year ago. Yeah,
1: exactly. And and you're talking best case scenario. Obviously, national
0: championship. Hey, it's a good place to be in. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Another uh, theme that repeated. Uh, Cole Farmer, another guy who I don't think I've talked about enough uh, on this podcast, but. You know, to back that up again, things we heard from spring, also heard in summer, everyone stayed healthy, and that's really what you want out of an offseason. Now, you touched upon replacement Chris Godwin, obviously the biggest challenge facing this passing game. Should Johnson step in as expected, that almost seems like a wash. Of course, you know, in the past couple of weeks, I've taken it upon myself to watch the film from every single game last season and just to see if there's anything that we might have missed or things that might provide insight. Godwin's third down catches are number one with a bullet on my list of things that I think people might have forgotten about a little bit. And that's partly due to the hype. Uh, But beyond that, you know, is there any reason in your mind why this passing game, which had better than 3,600 yards a year ago and nearly 30 touchdowns shouldn't step up uh, again this fall? There's really no
1: reason for it, but you're right that there has to be a guy that goes out and gets it on third down. And we don't know that Juwan Johnson can do that yet. He's got what, two or three catches uh, to his name so far. Deshaun Hamilton, um, I think he's going to have a big year in terms of production. Um, you know, he's got to be able to make those catches as well. And, and we'll see on the other side. I think DeAndre Tompkins is a step ahead of Sadie Blacknow, but Blacknow has made those plays against uh, Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm sort of on the edge. You're, you're not going to replace chris Godwin with, with you know stereotypes or anything like that but he was the dude that went, that went out and uh made those big catches down the field and i just think you know it's going to take you some time to figure out who can step into that role as the as the big play guy mike Cisicchi is probably the guy that i look to uh, you know yeah. he, he's he's considered a fourth wide receiver essentially he's going to be have to he's gonna have to be the guy that makes those catches and and takes that next step so um yeah you're right i think there's so many weapons how can it go backwards of course it can always go backwards mcSorley if he
0: takes care of the football should be able to put it in the hands of somebody that can do something with it right uh chris godwin also 11 touchdowns more than double than any penn state receiver had a year ago i think you know the common expression is it's not going to be a one-man effort you're not just tabbing Juwan johnson with hey you got to be the extra receiver which means you got to fill chris godwin's shoes entirely by yourself it will be Kasicki, saquon barkley been splitting out a lot more in camp than we saw a year ago i think that's really the next step in this passing game when you look about what's going to be different year two of joe Moorhead's offense i think he's more refined as a receiver of course all the raw tools you would want there, and any kind of football player are in that twenty-six uniform. Um, but he should see more catches. He had the best catch rate of any Penn State wideout or you know pass catcher a year ago, and that'll translate more opportunities for him uh as we head forward. And I think ultimately, there's no reason that they shouldn't move forward. Of course, it's college football; anything could happen. And the way I measured this was not only just are they going to go forward or backward, but how far forward could they go? I put an over/under on the site last week: four thousand passing yards. For Trace McSorley, which I'll remind you, probably Michigan, uh, you know, even that first game against Kent State wasn't so high in terms of total yards. Minnesota, you know, was, was middle of the road. Is that a number you think he can get to after hitting 3,614
1: last season? I think so. Um, I think w- when you look at the schedule, uh, they've got an opportunity to p- potentially blow some teams out. So that might have an in- impact on these things. Uh, yeah, I, I just think, uh, I, I, I look at efficiency more so than yardage. Um, you know, he, he had some big time yardage games where, you know, he, he completed half of his passes. So, um, I think that, uh, I look to efficiency a little bit more, but yeah, I think he can top that 4,000 yard mark. Um, don't know how many times it's been done, uh, you know, in, in the big 10, but, uh, he's going to have the opportunity and the weapons at his disposal to do so. So I think, yeah, we can go,
0: we can go a little bit, a little bit over. Okay, I will take a little bit under, but I think you hit the nail on the head in terms of efficiency. This is an offense that blew out teams at the end of last season with what, big plays down the field. And and McSorley completed just under 50% of all deep balls following the loss at Michigan a year ago. So you're talking from week five on, every ball that was going more than 20 yards, You know, if it wasn't this one being caught, it was going to be the next one. Careful, but, Joe Moorhead's going to come find you for <laughs> saying 50%. <so>. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't call him 50-50 balls. I'm just just stating some stats. Uh, but from zero to nine yards, again, starting at that line of scrimmage, for the whole entire season, Trace McSorley just barely above 60% on those throws between zero and nine yards. I think that's the area where you'll see an uptick. And the reason I mention that too, of course, these explosive plays, The talk at this time a year ago revolved so much around those RPOs to the point where then it translated into those big plays, and I think we'll see it revert back because teams will say, first and foremost, of course, we can't let Saquon Barkley beat us, but what's next? Well, it's going to be those deep bombs off of play action where you have three guys downfield and seven in protection. So what does that leave? It leaves in between the run and those deep passes, that intermediate zone where those RPOs will be lethal. And I think you'll see a lot more there. The efficiency goes up, but a little bit down. And you mentioned the blowout. I think we'll see more of Tommy Stevens' just fall throwing the ball.
1: And, and a guy that I, I'm looking to, and maybe not going to be a front-line starter or anything like that, but Brandon Polk um, has really come along. You guys have praised him through his camp. Um, he, he can be dangerous in that intermediate. Running those drags, it's, it's very tough to yeah. stay with Brandon Polk across the middle of the field, so I'm really interested to see, you know, he's not going to cut into Deshaun Hamilton's snaps too much, but Polk can be an offen, uh, an offensive weapon that they don't have right now with, the, with that speed. So Sean Fitz calling for Brandon Polk, breakout star of Penn State's passing game. There's six different breakout <laughs> wide receivers this year. I'm just going to go with all of them. So. <laughs> but but Juwan Johnson. <laughs> Juwan. Hey, we were, we were first on that train, so I'm um, pretty happy to see him develop and and hopefully that he can come through and, and, and go with the potential. We we talked about sort of uh, maximizing his potential, but at the same time, he hasn't done anything yet. You know, no, he's had yeah, a good I'm, spring game. He had a good spring, but you know, it's how high are these hopes for a guy that's got three catches to his name? So uh, I'm interested to see how he handles that because that's a big jump. Of course, you know, you don't want to throw this comparison out lightly. But Allen Robinson had three catches as a freshman. A um, little bit different situation but at the same time I mean you can you can turn on the jets and all of a sudden be a be a big time guy. We got a question on Twitter this week, who would you take of the Penn State receivers in a fantasy league? Oh yeah. And I I you know, I took the cop out which was very very easy for me to do. Uh Deshaun Hamilton in a PPR cuz I think he's going to lead the team in receptions and I right. think he's going to put up some numbers as well, but Juwan Johnson can be your big play guy. He can be the guy that leads you in touchdowns. I think because Mike Jasicki might lead you in touchdowns, but Juwan Juwan Johnson can be right there.
0: Yeah, he'll be there with the big plays. Um, I think there actually is some college football fantasy out there. Correct me if I'm wrong. I, I don't pursue that. It's not a big interest <laughs> for me. Ethically, I have no idea what you're talking about, but yes, <laughs> there, there definitely are. So. Yeah, so as someone who is pay paid the kids, obviously that does not pique my interest. But hey, someone asked us on Twitter, so we're happy to uh, get to that question. So we'll end with this. Talking about the passing game preview for the entire season uh, as the off season comes to a close. The definition of a successful season, looking strictly at the passing game, will be they accomplish what? Oh, that's tough because you don't know who the guy
1: is going to be that steps up. I mean, I just think uh, if you look across the board, there, I don't think they're going to have a, uh, you know, a guy that catches seventy passes and then three more that catch, you know, twenty five, twenty something like that, where they've had in the past. So I think uh, complete balance from those wideouts. Um, you know, you're going to have Hamilton probably leading him, Juwan Johnson there, but I'm looking at the the Z spot right now. And if that guy can step up, I mean, you, you only got so many coverage guys out there. Whether it's Tompkins, whether it's Black now, they can shake loose as well. I'm I'm excited to see those guys develop. So I don't I don't know that I can pin down what's going to be successful as long as they're just putting up points and putting up touchdowns.
0: I think for me, you want to keep that turnover ratio low. Trace McSorley, you know, was outstanding in that department. You know, and it sticks out more in memory because of course the turnovers that we saw came in big spots against USC. They came in bunches, and then also at the start of the season with the with the strip sacks, which I think a lot of People forget from Kent State and, and Pitt, but but they were there. If that's you know continues to stabilize for them, and you have three guys with 50 catches, which they only had one a year ago, that speaks to that balance. Where again, you have all the weapons, but you're also utilizing all of them. And when it comes crunch time, you're just not honed in in a single receiver. And I think you mentioned Hamilton, Johnson, Kasicki. Potentially, again, this might be a stretch, but even Saquon Barkley, if there's a particular game where just through the air they've got no one who can defend him, why not get him at least close to 50? And DeAndre Tompkins, I'd blacked with the potential to get there too. Yeah, and you pick your spots with Barkley because obviously, you know, he's he's
1: going to be such a, you know, essentially a decoy when he does get split out at times. So you pick your spots with him. You saw what he could do against Wisconsin, you know, against a first round pick on a wheel route. Uh, he's just got so much natural ability, and it's not just as a straight ahead, put your nose down, run run forward as a running back. So uh, I'm excited to see what he can do. And it just gives you, you know,
0: that that's five wide. That's very difficult to defend. Yeah. So for me, this season will be successful. I think a tell would be three guys, 50 plus catches, and they will get where they want to go. Uh, we just talked about Barkley, obviously the headliner for the running game. Let's start with that question. The over-under I had for him was not so much involved with yardage, because I think he'll get probably to the program record, which w- would mean a good season this year. But in terms of total touchdowns, so a year ago, through the air and on the ground, Barkley at 18 rushing four through the air. It's a like game 22. I put the over under at 27 and a half. That's going to be tough. I think it's going to be under. Okay. Um
1: and and I think he can he can have that number, the receptions number go up, but I think uh, you know with the way that they're going to play these games and this is obviously conjecture on my part, but I I don't think he's going to get the, you know, the huge load of carries that he would, because you've got, Mar- you got Miles Sanders, Mark Allen, Andre Robinson, who, you know, aren't going to cut into his carries, but if Penn State's putting up points, you're going to want to protect Barkley. I, I have him, you know, last year, I think he carried right around 19 uh, carries a game, but he had several games where he was, he carried the load for Penn State. I don't know that he needs to do that as much. I think the talent level at running back has come up. St- obviously, nobody's Barkley. Nobody's near Barkley in terms of, uh, you know, what they've been able to do and produce so far. But at the same time, you got guys you can trust back there if miles sanders can hold on to the football you've got guys you can trust back there to take the load off and you know i don't i still see him getting uh, barkley getting the bulk of the carries but at the same time you've got guys that can spell him and i think that's very important as we move into uh late
0: october and into november okay here's where you're wrong <laughs> penn <laughs> state played 14 games a year ago right sure okay 10 of them saquon barkley had only one touchdown or zero so he only had four games a year ago with multiple touchdowns. In your mind, is that something that you think is likely to repeat itself this fall? No. No, okay. I don't. That's why I'm taking the over. I don't think it will be, you know, way over, but I think twenty-eight to thirty, you know, particularly given his increased uh presence in the passing game will put him over because I that number when I found it just blew me away and it's something that you would just think is, is so silly like there's no chance that guy was held a one touchdown in in 10 games that they played I forgot you were going to nerd out on me and just uh just take that one <laughs> me. <laughs> that's me nerding out you should <laughs> avoid any and all tell the tapes coming up because this is just going to be just a, that's going to be like a little baby stat coming in for uh some of those which uh I think I had that McSorley chart up not too long ago I was surprised you weren't you know, upset over, over about me nerding head. out over there. No, no, I, I, and you're right that, to, to hold Saquon Barkley there. Yeah, but isn't that ridiculous? It,
1: it it is, it is, and I'm still trying to process that. That's that's insane when you think about uh, the production that he had, especially against like a team like USC. I mean. And, you know, I looked at the stats a little bit ago. Um, you know, obviously not much against, uh, I think it was Indiana, Michigan State, um, struggled against those, even even though he got a bunch of carries against Indiana. It's going to be, I think you mentioned earlier, seeing a lot of Tommy Stevens. And uh, I think I feel the same way about Miles Sanders, about Mark Allen, about uh, Andre Robinson. So um, I don't know that he'll get to that number. It just seems like a lot of touchdowns, 27 and a half, yeah. a lot of touchdowns.
0: No, it's totally fair. Uh, and and I think the other part of that equation is you're talking about the best back in the country who just spent an off season getting bigger, better, faster, and stronger. He good. Yes, he be good. Uh, now going back to that question, which had you stuck for a little bit for the passing game success for this running game. I'll I'll lead off with this one. You know, this will be a good year for Penn State on the ground. If for me, if they just cut those runs that either go for zero yards or negative yards in half. We, we forget about how big of a problem, or if you haven't been listening to this podcast, that was for this offensive line, which really was the weakness. We're not even talking about clearing room or just providing good pass protection. It was just you know the carries that just had zero chance from the get-go. If you just give Barkley a sliver of space, we all know what he can do with that. So now it's a matter of just creating a wall and not allowing defenders into the backfield because he'll take it from there so yeah. they're able to cut that you know that stuff rate that they have which was among the bottom 10 of the country in half and just return to average in that area And you hit it right on the head. Uh, I actually stole my answer. Those negative plays really killed them
1: last year. If you look at uh, Barclays' yards per carry, still fairly impressive when you take into account how many times he was hit as soon as he got the football. So, uh, you know, I think it it goes more on the offensive line than it does the running game. You've got so much talent in the running back, uh, in the backfield, that you're going to get your carries, you're going to get your yards, whatever. But uh, if they can move people this year, I think that was the biggest thing last year, is, you know, they, they weren't great. I don't think they would have graded out all that high in terms of moving people and moving mass and, and James Franklin said it a bunch last year that you know they just weren't putting people you know, back a couple of yards. So uh, a bigger offensive line, you got guys like Steven Gonzalez and Chaz Wright, who are just massive, Um, bigger offensive line, uh, Connor McGovern in the middle, much bigger than Brian Guy, as we've talked about before. So uh, I think they're going to start to move some people this year. Uh, Will they be a great offensive line? Eh, It might be a little bit uh, too far-fetched right now, but yeah, I think they're going to be, I think we're going to see noticeable strides and and that's the biggest thing for the offense and it's the biggest thing for the running game in general. Um, So I'm excited to see what they can do. Uh, they've got some guys up there that you know are, are just a little bit more naturally talented than the guys they've had in the past, and yep. just I don't think it's any more difficult than that. It's just uh, simplified. I think they're gonna start moving people.
0: All right, prediction time. Penn State's offense in twenty seventeen. I'm gonna go bold right off the bat. This doesn't have to do so much with the team, but Saquon Barkley is taking home some hardware in December, and it's not a bowl trophy; it's the Heisman. Wow,
1: that's uh, that's on record, right?
0: Yeah, it's on record.
1: Yeah, I there mean. It is. I, I I think he's certainly in the discussion. Um, it's going to be tough in, in my eyes for the Heisman to go s- to somewhere else. that's not a quarterback, and I think that you got Baker Mayfield. Of course, Lamar Jackson's coming back. Um, Sam Darnold, who impressed me as much as any player I've ever been impressed by in, in person. Uh, so yeah, I think it's going to be very tough for that to happen. Uh, but you know, you look at the running backs. He's got as good of a shot as anybody, and if he gets these, you know, the the, the 49 touchdowns or whatever you're predicting him to have this year, he's certainly got an opportunity to do so.
0: Well, you did owe me one twisting of my own words, so I will let that one slide. Yes, Barkley wins a Heisman with 49 touchdowns at that. But all right, what's your uh, prediction here? Well, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that Penn State is going to
1: outscore its opponents in the first half this year. I'm glad at least my prediction was bold. Oh yeah. Yeah. I stay, I stay away from that. But Penn state outscored by 29 points in outscored in each of the first two quarters, uh, last season, this one's going to be better for your blood pressure. Cause I think Penn State's going to blow out some teams. And I think that starts and, and, and maybe that wasn't my prediction, but I think Penn state averages 50 points a game in their out of conference schedule. And that includes Hey-o. putting up a lot of points on pit. So, uh, I'm really interested to see how this, how quickly this offense can take off. Obviously last year, you know, they made their mark coming from behind and, and, Blue teams out I mean 160 points in the third 166 points in the fourth um, compared to giving up 58 and 72 respectively Uh, I just think that Penn State is you know they're just going to turn on turn on the gas a little bit earlier and put up some points and it's going to be helpful for a lot of people because I think a lot of people like to settle into their game time rituals a little quicker than they would have had to do
0: last year okay Sean Fitz, man of the people, gonna drop a lot of points on Pitt.
1: I want them to drink beer and
0: I want them to be happy drinking beer. All oh, right? I have That's nothing just... against drinking beer. Mm-hmm. Um but I'm curious then, okay, so Penn State outscored its opponents, they're gonna drop fifty plus on their first or average in the non conference. What game to you will be the first that they trail or tied at halftime? Ohio State's off the table. I think Northwestern. Okay. Um,
1: You know Iowa is a concern because it is Kinnick Stadium. I mean, it's it's a difficult place to play, and they've had success playing at home. But I just think Northwestern is, uh, you know, Penn State prone to the slow start out there. You know, it might be a cliche or whatnot, but it's going to be tough for them to to go out against an experienced quarterback, a dynamite running back, a defense that's probably better than it's given credit for, and and, and get going. So I think that's probably the first game when you look on the schedule where they're going to be trailing at halftime.
0: All right. Dip into the mailbag to wrap up this episode of the Lions 24-7 podcast. Two questions, one Big Ten big picture, uh, and then we'll wrap up with the one that is Penn State specific. So the first, uh, we've talked so much about the Nindy Lions. Obviously, this offseason should be a good year, but if you're looking outside of Penn State's building, which team to you guys will have a breakout season in the Big Ten? I'll go on record really quick because I've talked about them a lot. Uh, Indiana, I think, is going to improve upon their season a year ago I think they're going to go to a bowl game on uh, that first game against Ohio State I think it's about a three touchdown spread right now I, I would take Indiana given that um, just the pieces that they bring back I think they're very well coached and you know that combination is always a good one to have Hoosiers I would peg probably around eight wins I'm not sure where Indiana
1: is going to be especially with the coaching change um, and that first game uh, I think Kevin Wilson's going to try and put up about 170 points so uh we will see uh, you know, how that spread works out. But I think Indiana can be good. Um, you know, I, I don't know that they're y- there yet. They've got the veteran quarterback that we've talked about so often. Um, but yeah, they they've got potential there and, and they showed it last year. I think their defense was underrated last year. So I go back to Northwestern. It's going to be a tough one. I think that Northwestern Wisconsin is going to decide the Big Ten West, and uh, you know I'm really not sure who to take in that. I I, I like Wisconsin a lot. Don't love them, Um, but you look at their schedule and they've got clear sailing if they can get by Northwestern. So and
0: they're already starting
1: in the top ten. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, it'll be fun to see. You know, and and you talk about the balance of the divisions, which it's it's not even close. Uh, But it'll be fun to see that West play out with those two guys in Nebraska. Should you know should come around and probably beat a team they shouldn't.
0: Yeah, they've got too much uh, upheaval for me to, to pick outright and say, Okay, they'll get there, you know, Tanner Lee, a lot of people have said good things about their you know, quarterback who should start out there for the Huskers. Defensively transitioning to a three four under Bob Diaco, just too much there for me to say, Okay, breakout, but but there's definitely potential there uh, out in Nebraska. If they can get something out of their quarterback,
1: they'll they'll be fine. Uh Tommy Armstrong was, was good for them at times, but really bad for them at times. So if they can get a little bit more consistency out of that, they can stay healthy, they can they can be right there.
0: Quarterback's important to football, you heard it here. From- First. Very, very important. Yeah, <laughs> Last question in the mailbag. Uh, Penn State, have we overlooked any weaknesses on this roster besides the obvious one that you guys have talked about before? We've got an open job at safety and some questionable linebacker depth.
1: No doubt. Uh, defensive end, uh, you've got players there. Yeah. James Franklin said he felt great about it. Uh, they got to produce before I can, you know, get on that same, that same, but of course they see them every day in practice. I think Sharif Miller is going to have a good year. I think Ryan Buckholz is, is a little bit underrated by folks and, and Torrance Brown as well. So they've got pieces in place, but, losing Garrett Sickles and Evan Schwan is a big deal. Uh, you know, they didn't get to the quarterback at USC, uh, but they made some timely plays throughout the season, especially Sickles against Ohio State. So they're going to miss them probably early in the season more than you would think. So
0: defensive end is, is kind of a spot that I like, I don't love. Okay, I'm going to go corner. You know, we've talked about the young talent that's there it's terrific with Lamont Wade and Trey Castro Fields really stepping up. But when you get to where Penn State wants to go, let's say the college football playoff and you're lining up against an Alabama uh, or perhaps a Washington, a USC, and you're trotting out two freshmen and corners in your sub packages, to me that's a little bit terrifying no matter how seasoned they might have been in their first year of their career. So, you know, let's say even Penn State doesn't suffer another injury at that position, which they had multiple a year ago. And, and Grant Hanley and Christian Campbell have struggled with injuries in the past. no doubt Right, right. And they're thrust into major roles. I think it's just a spot that right now we talked about at the outset of the podcast. This is a time for hope. This is a time for optimism. But that can just fall through the floor, again, if you have injuries or, or some of them start to exhibit these kind of typical freshman traits where it's inconsistent play or some mental errors because they're just not used to the level of competition. So I think it's a very fragile cornerback groups right now. You know, if they can to grow there's obviously potential for for that to be a real strength um, but if you just imagine that this group if John Reed had been healthy which I don't mean to do this to anybody but you have a surefire number one corner Grant Haley opposite him you know talking about a two three-year starter and then Kristen Campbell again is your your third defensive back and then you have some freshmen who can mix in I think that's an ideal mix to have no matter who you are veterans in the outside uh, but right now of course that's not the scenario that they face and those freshmen are gonna have to step up quicker than expected. And you, you mentioned
1: watching Penn state's film earlier and you you texted me the other day, Penn state's really going to miss John Reed. And, and I think that's on a, on multiple levels. He's a leader out there, but he's also a playmaker a guy who can get his hands on the football. So yeah, I think you're right. I, and I think that's the theme of this defense overall. I like this defense. I don't love this defense because of the depth issues, because of the inexperience at in some spots. And, you know, I, I think Troy Apke is a guy that can make or break uh, how well they do. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll, we'll see what happens. I'm I'm excited to see them. I think they can be very good. I just don't think
0: they're there. Right. They're, they're question marks. They're not sore spots yet. There's potential. It could go one way or another. Uh, and that's just about where we stand. So this has been it for the Lions 24-7 podcast here as we enter Akron Week. Again, as we mentioned multiple times, we're going twice weekly. Please find us on iTunes, rate, review, uh, leave some comments in there, and we'll see how we go with our uh, new format here in the endurance. I I hope we don't show up like Conor McGregor, kind of, you know, week seven, eight, you know, Arms drop a little bit, and we're a little bit tired. I think that bye week will probably serve us well, but I think we're off to a decent start here. Some, Going of us couldn't, some
1: of us couldn't stay awake long enough to watch. Oh, the fight. we're stop. not all
0: these young guys running <laughs> around here. But <laughs> bigger night on the town Saturday than I did. Anyway,
1: we're <laughs> thanks for joining us again. Find us on iTunes, rate us, and uh, we'll see you next later this week. Later this week.